Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, what's up? Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you across the Magnolia State. Thanks for being with us alongside Brian Haydad and Michael Borky. I'm Richard Cross. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studio. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com to learn more. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Whether you're looking for the best in wireless, the best in home internet service, or the best in business IT services, Ceasefire has you covered. Learn more at ceasefire.com. What do we start here today? Over the weekend, Anthony Richardson made his 14th start since his final season at Eastside High School in Gainesville in 2019. Yesterday, he was named the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts after one quarter of one preseason game in which he threw an interception that led to a touchdown for Buffalo, had a drive that crossed the 50, and led a 77-yard drive that ended in a missed field goal. But the Colts say that they have seen enough that it is clear that Anthony Richardson is the direction for their franchise to go at the position. He beats out Gardner Minshew. Quick trivia. Quick trivia for both of you. Don't look. Don't Google. Who's the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts? Come on. It's Come not on, Frank football Reich. guys. It's Come not on, Frank Reich. Frank Reich, and I can't because it's not him. He's in Carolina. It's not Frank so. Reich. Yeah, he just he just he just lost that job. Mm. Uh I don't know. Shane Steichen. Yeah, man. When they hire these coordinators that in NFL jobs, guess. it's it's so hard to keep up with. <laughs> was it? What? That was your second guess. Yes, I was I was right I wasn't trying to pronounce it. I thought it was sticking. I didn't want to look like an idiot. I don't know that Steichen is the way you pronounce it either, because I was today <laughs> years old when I learned that Shane Steichen, Steichen, is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But we digress. So, hey, for all those naysayers, why would you take Anthony Richardson in the first round? Because he's going to be an opening week starter. Okay, good to know. There's risk there, because they haven't named it yet. Uh, 
You know Bryce Young's going to start in Carolina. He has been named starter. He has been named starter. You, you knew it was going to happen. They drafted him to start. Um, it, it will take a miracle for him to complete 17 games healthy, but that's a conversation maybe for another day. The Texans have yet to name C.J. Stroud their starter, and they will. But why rush it? Why why rush it? I, I get why. I, I get the the rationale you don't draft Anthony Richardson to not play him right away but like you said 14 starts ever in his life and you've got a guy behind him that can win games in the NFL in Gardner Minshew Richardson didn't look ready and that's okay like he shouldn't look ready CJ Stroud did not look ready and you've got Mills behind him who who can play quarterback in the NFL and be fine so there's a chance that you can rush these guys into playing right away, and it really screws with them. You don't have to play them week one. You can play them week five or six. Just let them kind of figure things out first. Instead, Anthony Richardson's 15th real game start is going to be as an NFL quarterback in week one. I oh, mean, no, 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 no. It'll be in preseason game number two. But, but, but real game. But his his first the the, the fourteen starts preseason they were two? counting preseason game Jeez. number one his, so, his start even worse. in preseason game number one was his fourteenth start since high school. Uh, I, I was watching a film guy break down C.J. Stroud's interception, and it, you know it's just one play, whatever. But he threw an interception on the first play of his NFL career in a preseason <laughs> game, and basically the rationale was. He didn't see disguise, like he didn't see defenses like that in college very often. It, it, Bill Belichick apparently ha- has a thing for messing around with rookie quarterbacks in preseason games. He likes to throw them stuff that they've never seen before to make them look terrible in preseason games. Apparently, it's a thing that he likes to do, and he did it to C.J. Stroud. And my thinking is, if if in a preseason game one coach can make him so confused so quickly, why rush to start him? Why rush him? And then if he struggles in the first five, six weeks of the season, oh, he's a bust. And you create such negative energy around him. It's a risk, man. I mean, it, you, you've you seen the, the waiting work for other guys. Worked in Green Bay with Rodgers. Brady didn't so we, start we, right away. We've seen examples of all the options, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so Aaron Rodgers is the preeminent example of sit for a while, learn the system, and then be good to go. We saw Peyton Manning get thrown into the fire with the Colts organization from day one. And they were awful. And he was awful. It ended up working. He was bad. It worked out quite well. And then just to stick in the same family, we've, we've seen the hybrid work. What was it, about week? Hmm, I'm going to guess week 8, 9, 10, when the New York Giants handed the reins over to Eli Manning from Kurt Warner after giving him about half a season to kind of watch and observe. Maybe it was five games in, maybe it was 12 games in. I don't remember exactly. But it was roughly halfway through the season of his rookie year when when they said, okay, it's time. Let's go learn on the fly. And, and, and that worked out. So I don't know that there is an exactly this is the right way to do it. It's all player dependent. but yeah, Some guys can handle it, some can't. But, man... Interesting times right now with the rookies. We're going to see them all right away, except for Will Levis. Um, he won't even be a backup 
in Tennessee, apparently. That Malik yes, Willis right now is ahead of him. Mm. Wow. But if you wanted to see the, the three highly drafted rookies, you're getting them in week one. When uh, when he was asked about it in press conference, Anthony Richards said, I was shocked, honestly. I had no idea this was coming. <laughs> like, he didn't even see it coming. So, um, good to know. Good to yeah, know. Burrow was good in his first year behind a horrible offensive line. They have since rectified uh, that terrible unit that he was playing behind. But that That's my fear with Bryce Young. I, I say fear. Haydad reminded me that, yes, the, the Saints are, are in Charlotte in Week 2 on Monday Night Football. And uh, that's perfect timing for for Cam Jordan to break the single-game sack record. Uh, looking forward to that. He got a new contract. He's ready to go. Um, but I, I, for some, I, I fear the same fate in year one that Joe Burrow suffered in, in Cincinnati. Jeremy in Columbia says it wasn't long ago when even a first-round pick at quarterback wouldn't even be considered to start in the NFL immediately. There's a reason why they did that. You're right. And that reason still exists, Jeremy, but it has changed. I mean, it has changed big time. Part of it is because college quarterbacks are more ready than they ever have been to play in the NFL. You just get guys that are more talented and they're ready to go. Oh, more focused, too. I mean, Jackson Darden, his last media op talked about uh, his personal quarterback coach. And I had a friend ask me, like, is that normal? Like, who pays for that? And I was like, I don't know who pays for that. Pro- I assume there was an NIL deal or, or his parents or somebody. Anyway, but I was like, yeah, that's normal. High-level quarterbacks have private quarterback coaches in college now. Yeah, absolutely do. Absolutely. So Will Rogers have somebody that he works with? Hey, Dad, have, have you heard people talking about that? Not that, I, not that I'm aware of, but I wouldn't be surprised by it at all. Yeah, there's some California-based guys. There's some Phoenix-based guys. There's some Florida-based guys. Um, David, uh, I didn't think I would ever forget his last name. QB Country. David Morris? uh, David Morris, yeah. Former backup at at Ole Miss is, um, I think, based out of Mobile and has had a bunch of guys that he has worked with through the years. Uh, And it starts at a young age and it continues. They kind of stick with their, their coaches all the way through. So, and but the other piece of it is the money's changed too, right? I mean, there's so much money that's wrapped up in first round draft picks, not as much as there used to be. I mean, Sam Bradford was the one to win really, really, really big for being number one overall with his what sixty eight million dollar deal. They're smaller than that, but there's so much prestige and money and everything else tied into it that roll them out there and see if they can go. And look, Anthony Richardson may get the last laugh in all of this. He's got the physical tools, man. So I watched all of his snaps because he didn't take very many, and it was the perfect Anthony Richardson. Made a couple bad mistakes, looked like he was swimming, and then flashed brilliance. All right, let's do a comp real quick, real quick. Let's say that things go well for Anthony Richardson. He will remind you of who? Cam Newton. Ooh. Um, is he as thick as Newton? Not as thick, but... No. Those two guys are unique, though, in their physical attributes. Yeah. I was thinking Donovan McNabb, but I think McNabb's a better passer. So, 
Mm. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We'll be back just getting started with you on this Tuesday. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on supertalk.fm, the Supertalk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. Yesterday's show, we led with the ESPN story about Michael Orr and his lawsuit against his conservators, Sean and Leanne Tui. Uh, we talked about this a, a great deal. We did not, at that point, have a response from the Tuies. We uh, we now do, and I feel like. For the sake of equal time, we should probably give that side of the story as well. Uh, the Daily Memphian, I think it was Jeff Calkins that wrote the article, um, talked with Sean Tui, said in an interview that he and his family were, quote, devastated, close quote, by Orr's allegations, and denied that the family made millions from the movie The Blind Side. Here's a direct quote from Sean Tui. We didn't make any money off the movie. Well, Michael Lewis, the author of the book The Blind Side, gave us half of his share. Everybody in the family got an equal share, including Michael. It was about $14,000 each. We're devastated. It's upsetting to think we would make money off of any of our children. But we're going to love Michael at 37, just like we loved him at 16. He was asked about the conservatorship, and he said... The only thing he and Leanne could do to legally make Orr a part of their family was have him sign conservatorship documents, and he points out that Tui's birth mother, his biological mother, was included. Here's his quote on that. Michael was obviously living with us for a long time, and the NCAA didn't like that. They said the only way Michael could go to Ole Miss was if he was actually part of the family. I sat Michael down and told him, if you're planning to go to Ole Miss or even considering Ole Miss, we think you have to be part of the family. This would do that legally. We contacted lawyers who had told us that we couldn't adopt over the age of 18. The only thing we could do was have a conservatorship We were concerned it was on the up and up. We were so concerned that it was on the up and up that we made sure the biological mother came to court, close quote. You know, Google's not perfect, but it says on the Ryan McFarland Law website, for example, that you can adopt somebody above the age of 18. Uh, it's possible, I suppose, that they got poor legal advice. Possible. It, the, uh, the more I think about this, something that you said yesterday is probably true, that the truth fits somewhere in between two sides of a story, as almost always. Because... I got, I got a friend, Borky, that said there are three sides to every story. 
My side, your side, and the truth. That, absolutely right. And when you file, when you're suing somebody, you file a legal document. You, you want to make the other party look as bad as possible. That's the goal, right? You're when you're filing litigation, you're putting all your cards on the table, and then the response is going to do the same thing. It's all a really bad look. It is. We didn't, or maybe we did, but in passing yesterday, mention also that there is a book signing happening today. The day after that story breaks. The timing of which is interesting, if nothing else. But again, you can't adopt somebody above the age of 18. That's possible. The whole thing stinks, honestly. All of it stinks. Yeah. Hey, Ned, do you have any new thoughts today? No, they uh, remain the same. Yeah. I figured. But, I mean, it does strike me as... I can't imagine that Sean Tui would come out and definitively say, we got no money from the movie other than what came from part of Michael Lewis's share. Obviously, you write a book, you sell the rights to a movie maker, and then they go and they make the movie. I can't imagine he would say, we got no money from the movie other than from this pile of money if they actually did get money from the making of the movie. Could prove that rather quickly, by, I assume. I would counter by saying that he said he adopted Michael Orr for 20 years, and that has been proven to be untrue. He points out that they referred to him as their adopted son. Though they didn't actually go through with the adoption. Is this different? And it may be. Like I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I'm throwing this out. I've known people who weren't married that were like common law married. They dated for a really long time and lived together and maybe even had kids together and referred to each other as husband and wife, even though they never actually married in the legal sense of the term. Is this that? Uh if the husband was saying, yeah, that's my wife, but the wife was saying, in reality, that's not really my husband, then yeah. But if they're both in agreement of it, then yes. It's the same thing. But obviously here, what Michael Ower thought was the situation and what the situation actually was are two different things. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird, though, that like, like conservatorship... I, I, kept reading into him because it, it does interest me. And, and by the way, you were hard on conservatorship yesterday. Uh, and there are specific examples. Yeah, there are reasons Absolutely. for conservatorships to exist that are, are good and yeah. well-intended. Absolutely, without a doubt. For the mentally incapacitated, there, there is great value in that for a lot of reasons. Uh, but, but in situations like this, when, when it's a, a fully functioning adult without mental incapacitation... It, it it smells really bad. Like it, it's, but you were an NFL player. You you had agents. I assume lawyers also. Legal counsel. You signed 
what multiple NFL contracts, yeah, endorsements, and and for two decades, none of them caught this until February of 2023. And if that's true, if that's the case, if none of them caught that, then there was a failure uh, for a lot of people that for for two decades to to not know that he was under a conservatorship signing contracts, big contracts, multi-million dollar contracts mm-hmm. for almost 20 years. So he was either failed or so it, the, the whole, the, again, the whole thing stinks. So, so I mentioned this at the beginning, Hey dad, yesterday of, of what we were talking about. Like when at the very, very beginning, I said on the front page of ESPN.com, you see a bunch of Ole Miss logos, but this is not a story about Ole Miss. <laughs> and, it's not, but at the same time, Ole Miss is a part of this story. Yeah. It's a weird deal, right? I mean, I don't think it right. necessarily looks good for Ole Miss, but I don't know that it should look bad for Ole Miss. They didn't really play a role in this. Right. Yeah. It's... It's that Sean Tui is a huge Ole Miss booster. I mean, his name is on the basketball practice facility. Everybody knows he is an Ole Miss guy. He was the Ole Miss color basketball commentator for a number of years. Michael Lower, an all-SEC played point guard at Ole, at Ole Miss. Yeah. And, of course, Mike, Michael Ower played at Ole Miss. So Ole Miss is a central figure in this. Yeah. And and it's it's going to surprise a lot of people to hear me say but But Ole Miss it didn't have any wrongdoing in this. They're not the ones who pull in the strings. This is, I mean, you could almost make a case this is a rogue booster. (laughs) Almost make that kind of case where, you know, if you want want to go back and get Orgeron for lack of institutional control on that one, I guess you could. But, yeah, I'm not so sure. That's what it is, though. I'm not not saying that, but what I am saying is just like, this is a a booster of Ole Miss and a player at Ole Miss, but this isn't what happened with Freeze. This this isn't the, the university being the problem. This it, it's is almost like a different story. The Batman or Batman and the Joker fight in New York. It's not New York's fault that Batman and the Joker are fighting. It's just where it happened. Well, they would fight. In, they fight in Gotham first and first and foremost. Let's just be. Let's let's just talk. Let's, let's use the right verbiage here, please. I mean, isn't New York referred to as Gotham City? No, uh, Metropolis is New York, and Gotham is Chicago. Is what they've always said. Really? Yeah. You learned something today. Yeah, I did. I always thought that New York was Gotham. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly going to trust you on that, but uh, yeah. You should, I, you I, should. I guess I learned something new today. Why would a Batman pick Chicago as his lair? Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right he back. Likes the water. In the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi. What is going on here? Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Well, it's about time. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
during the break that um, noted Is it Wednesday Chicagoan, at 6 o'clock? What's going on here? Noted Chicagoan and Windy hmm. City enthusiast Jay-Z claims that he is uh, Gotham City's heartbeat. Oh, wait. He's a New York guy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go with Jay-Z over, you know, the people who invented Batman. Gotham City is traditionally depicted as being located in the, in the U.S. state of New Jersey. Gotham's yeah, look and atmosphere was primarily influenced by New York City. Architect Hugh Ferris's designs also influenced the look and emotional feel of Gotham City, particularly in its later depictions. Bill Finger said that he chose the name Gotham and not New York so that all readers in any city could identify with it. Gotham City it's, it's is traditionally Chicago. depicted as being located in New Jersey. Yeah. I disagree. That's from Wikipedia. Here's from Reddit. Gotham is certainly more like Chicago, but it's actually based on New York City. However, in the DC universe, Gotham, uh, Gotham is actually in New Jersey. Quora. It is based in New York City. Is Gotham is the nickname for real, the real NYC. And in the 19th century, New Yorkers adopted the name Gotham City as a nickname for New York. I feel like you have led me down a path of just being wrong. I just disagree, because think about it. If, if, if Gotham is New York City, what is Metropolis? Also New York. Both Metropolis and so Gotham City were modeled after New York. Are, they're in the same universe. They're in the same country. Batman travels from Metropolis to, or from Gotham to Metropolis. Superman travels from Metropolis to Gotham. And yet they're both it it was there I'm it was a made up story. Yeah, I'm not aware real. of that. Not I mean it's yes, not like, I'll get just like the blind side. I get it. Yes, it is not not totally like Superman fictional. was actually flying from New York to Chicago Correct. through the air in the night. Not in real life. Again, I get it. We were talking. We've got a lot of fictional stories going on today. But yes, in my <laughs> it, it makes it makes more sense for them to be in separate cities, does it not? Otherwise, you'd be like, yeah, I'm over in East Metropolis. You say I like to. to Stick in little jabs, but but that that was right out of the. Yeah, but he put that one on a tee for me. That was like an eighty-six mile an hour fastball with no movement coming right over the heart of the plate to Otani. Oh, I couldn't help but go five hundred feet. Speaking of fictional things, I I watched Guardians of the Galaxy three last night. I've never been more let down by a movie before. I loved the first two. Third, wait, that's not just a soundtrack. The soundtrack was phenomenal. They had that. Nailed the soundtrack as always. I haven't, I haven't seen the third one yet. Oh, it's it, it's still fine. Like if it was on its own, I wouldn't have been as disappointed. It's just the first two are so good, and it, it's just not. Yeah. It's just not. Everything after Endgame, Marvel's done, not been good. That's what I can't. I can't. Like Marvel is requiring me to remember movies, stuff from movies that I saw like ten years ago. Now I, I can't do that. Like I need fresh stuff. Yeah. Uh, ceasefire text line, haha. And where's the truth? Just like most other truth today, people choose whatever they want. Hey, Dad, his has his own truth, or is he right? I mean, we get another message. Hey, Dad, wrong as usual. In defense, I mean, 
Hollywood Hollywood's up a bunch of stories, true stories. The details in the movie yeah. aren't always factually accurate. That's why they say based on true stories. But yes, there were things in the movie that were not real. That, you know they say that admiring curtains actually real. But I believe that actually. Maybe so. That probably happened. He's got a little charisma. Gotham is actually Nashville, by the way. If you ever go to Nashville, the AT and T building there is uh, was Wayne Towers in uh, the Dark Knight. And Spider Man swings off all the cranes that they've got there. <laughs> the third Batman was filmed in uh, in Pittsburgh, I believe. Yes. There have been scenes be that have been taken from Pittsburgh and St. Louis and Chicago yeah, and New York, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When Bain blows up the yeah. football field, that is Heinz that's, Field. That's Heinz Field. Yeah. And it, Home of the Gotham Knights, yeah. evidently. And in The Replacements, you know, the Keanu Reeves movie, great football movie. Nobody ever talks about The Replacements as one of the best football movies because it's prize not. But it's a really good football movie. They are the Washington, D.C. Sentinels. And it's filmed in mm -hmm. Baltimore and played in Bal Baltimore Stadium. I've got one. I got one that's the worst of all of these. Major League, filmed in Milwaukee. That's not the Cleveland Indian Stadium. It's it's filmed in Milwaukee. Why did Cleveland like not want to yeah. give them access or something? I've always I've always like I love Major League. One of my favorite sports movies, but like the 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 scene at the end, the, you know, the the big game, everybody's in the stadium, nobody's wearing an Indian shirt, nobody's wearing an Indian's jersey in the crowd. They're all just wearing t-shirts. By the way, they're all wearing they like t-shirts and shorts. <laughs> but it really also, took you a minute. think about I, this. I mean, you, it took it's you a minute. It's like, like wait, 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 what? Huh? The wheel oh. the wheel didn't turn all the way. But the other side of that is. This is a one-game playoff for the NLE or the ALE championship, right? So when would that game be played? Mid to late October. Everybody's in t-shirts and shorts in Cleveland. Maybe they were having an Indian summer. <laughs> <In> our... <laughs> You're rolling. Got Keep it twice. going. You're on a heater. Oh man. <laughs> So, uh, uh, if we may switch gears. And Rudy uh, was offsides. We got a message a second ago. Um, hold on. What was it? I, I missed this a second ago. Uh, somebody said that Rudy Rudiger had just filed suit against the University of Notre Dame. Is that real? No. 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 Oh. Had to had to do with using his likeness without his permission and not being compensated for it or I something see. along those lines. I, I think that's. I think Rudy Rudiger is probably like really happy with the way he was portrayed in that movie. Yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. Uh, have you heard him uh, talk or anything? Seen one, any of his speeches? Mm, I don't know. It's I mean, gonna, this is going to sound mean, but it's it's just my opinion, and I'm I'm kind of a jerk, I guess, or at least that's what the internet tells me. Not as inspiring as his movie character. Lacking a little bit in the uh, inspiration. Yeah. I mean, he just needs to stand to the stage and say, we're going to get him on the run, boys, and we're going to go, go, go. I mean, yeah, just get up there and do that. I mean, obviously there, you know, is some, some juice in there when it needs to be called upon. But I had another message that says Rudy was offsides. Uh, yeah. So... I was gonna say a second ago. That's another one. That's another one, though. Plenty of, of stuff just made up in that movie. 
Was Georgia Tech the opponent that he played against? George Tech is the opponent. They, the the one big scene that's not that they say is made up that like former players get mad about is the whole where they went to the coach and handed in their jersey. They everybody's like that never happened not once. See Hollywood. That's a great scene in the movie though. That's a dramatization a based loosely on the facts of a real story. Yeah, based on based on a true story. Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn, a total punk in that movie. Yeah, too. it's terrible. I hate that for him. That's like the only time he's played a character that isn't just himself. Love Vince Vaughn, don't get me wrong, but Vince Vaughn plays Vince Vaughn in every Vince Vaughn movie. Yes. He's yes. the same guy. Sarcastic and funny. L- little charm there. Herodious! He's the same guy. Every movie. Yeah. For the third time, <laughs> I'm going to try and move us in another direction. Uh, we talked yesterday about Mississippi State's scrimmage over the weekend. Yeah. Hey, Dad gave us a, a little bit of insight. Um, we should talk a little bit about uh, Ole Miss's first scrimmage of the weekend. And I think the thing that people are probably most interested in, and we'll, we'll continue this on, on the other side of the break, is, well, what happened at quarterback? Kind of like we've been telling you since April, Jackson Dart was the quarterback. He went with the ones. Played most of the first half or so of the scrimmage and then hung out on the sideline the rest of the way so that other guys could get some work. You know what that sounds like? What you do with the starting quarterback when you scrimmage in camp. What a starting quarterback does in an NFL preseason game. Takes a few reps, gets a rhythm together, they take his helmet, he hangs out on the sideline for the rest of the game. I've heard multiple people say that not only is Jackson Dart the starting quarterback on this team, he has become the leader of this team. Like, bar none. Not a super vocal guy, not a big rah-rah guy. But he's the guy that everybody on the team kind of gravitates to. The, the, the quarterback competition thing, I understand that Lane Kiffin put it out there and said, oh, we're going to compete, we're going to compete, we're going to compete. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. Everybody theoretically competes for every position. I think the only time I haven't heard him talk about that was when he had Matt Corral coming back as a returning starter. So that's probably where we would start. We'll talk more about the scrimmage after this. Sports Talk Mississippi. Go, let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We did something a while back where we um, what we talked about off the radar players for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss guys that 
nobody's really talking about going into the year, but could have a pretty significant impact. And the guy, the guy that I gave you for Ole Miss was Jordan Watkins, receiver, veteran, transferred in from Vandy a couple of years ago, good hands, knows everything, smart. Everybody trusts him. He's been out for a big part of camp and did not participate in Ole Miss's scrimmage, got a hamstring injury. And that scares you at that position, right? Because if you don't allow it to heal completely, then it feels like all season long you're talking about, eh, that still nursing that hamstring deal. And that is a position where the hammies need to be in good shape because you're looking for explosion and starting and stopping and changing of direction and making cuts and all of that stuff kind of puts stress on that particular part of the uh, the lower body. So we'll see what that means as they get a little bit closer. Um, staff continues to like Trey Wallace. And the hope is that he he is the difference maker that they thought he was going to be. I don't feel like anybody has talked about Dayton Wade in the offseason. I think you're going to look up on opening day, and you're probably going to see Dayton Wade run out there with the first group as receivers. Um, is receiver a position in your mind that you can get on the field – faster and more effectively than at other spots? Like as a freshman? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Is that the easiest I mean, it's, place it's to true. get on the field it's, as a freshman? It's true in the NFL as well. Rookie receivers have big seasons all the time. But, you know, rookie, we were just talking about rookie quarterbacks, not so much. Yeah. If you're a superior athlete, if you've got great speed, they'll find ways, they'll design packages and find ways to get the ball into your hands. Yeah. I'm, State's I'm, got one like that. State's got uh, Creed Whitmore. He has been very impressive in yeah. camp. He's been very. He was very impressive Saturday night in the in the scrimmage. And that's a guy. Even though he plays in the slot, and he's you know you know he's going to be behind Tulu Griffin and, and Xavier Thomas, he's going to find reps this year. He won't. I don't think he'll redshirt. Did uh, Creed already hit the lottery? Because he was born in the U.S. of A. It took him a second, Again, but I got him. No, yes. I, I got it. I got. Yes. I, I'm not sure when when Creed makes plays. I don't know if I'm going to go Creed from the office or Creed the band with, oh, with, with my replies nice. and my my pop culture references. I've got I got options though. Creed, what I lost, takes I it lost Joe Crocker. I lost Joe Crocker. You know he's he he didn't he ended up not signing with State, so I, I lost out on that. But I got Creed Whitmore. Um. I think Aiden Williams is that guy at Ole Miss was the point yeah. that I was making and asking the question about freshmen getting on the field. I'm so fascinated to see. Uh, he'll play him. a lot. He'll play a lot. You know, here's breaking news, more to 11. This is why I get paid the big bucks. Uh, he's never faced what he's about to face. I mean, it, you even get paid big bucks? It, it, they come in. The, the bank still tells me <laughs> that they, they, they don't take them, and I don't know why, but, you, you know. You just earned five Davenport dollars. <laughs> But uh, they, uh, you know, he's never faced competition that he's about to face. I mean, as early as week two, I promise. In high school, he's not seen what Tulane's going to be able to throw at him. Uh, even Mercer, but you know, relatively speaking, how he responds to that—the the physicality of the game—that the, you know, they 
you don't just run routes anymore. It's not, hey, you're going to run a post right here, and that's all you do. It, 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 you know, offense is a little bit more complex. The stadiums are going to be loud. You know, they've they've got to go to Tuscaloosa and and, and all that. How he will acclimate to that uh, will be the difference between him having a great and not great freshman season. But the physical tools apparently are just there in absolute abundance. And every practice, it's like, yeah, he's possibly the most talented player on the field. I've seen Quinshawn Judkin. So returns on him are, are really good so far in training camp. I know that there are uh, stereotypes out there. Some people love to perpetuate stereotypes, don't they, Hedeth? You know, just for... It's true. Uh, and yet this is, uh, this is bucking a stereotype. Fashion news coming to you once again from Starkville. <laughs> we will uh, we will get to that. Another logo rolled out today, and people are going gaga. Also, Vanderbilt rolling out some new uniforms, and it's almost they like they finally figured out what a black and gold uniform should look like. Pretty good stuff from the uh, the doors. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. One hour in the books, four o'clock hour coming up in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. You know I love sports. On Super Talk Mississippi. Hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. You can join the conversation on the Ceasefire text line at 601 879 4395. Ceasefire is introducing the new Connect and Protect plan, the phone your kids want with easy to use parental controls for you, just $30 a month with auto pay. Connect and Protect gives you tools to easily track your kids' location, restrict content, limit screen time and help protect them online. Plus, right now, you can get iPhone 12 for less than $11 a month or get a free TCL Stylus 5G. No trade-in needed. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire customer inspired. Um, coming to you from the Pearl River Resort studio, Pearl River Resort, home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, two 18-hole championship courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. You can book your tee time online at Dancing Rabbit Golf. Com. So we uh, we got plenty to get into in the uh, in the four o'clock hour. Let's start out with um, the, 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 the the countdown, the countdown of one hundred. Oh, I thought we were going to give fashion takes in one hundred days. I just wanted to see if I could dupe Brian Haydad once again. This day is bananas. E a n a n a s. This day is bananas. One hundred teams in one hundred days. Okay, ready? Three. We'll get to the uniforms. It's the final countdown. Countdown of one hundred teams in one hundred days, sort of. Sort of. Team number twenty-four on the countdown. 
trip to the SEC, but one final season in the uh, the Big 12. So I was I was flipping through Phil Steele's magazine the other day. Is he just trolling, or does he really believe that Texas and OU finished 1-2 in the Big 12 in their final season in the league? Well, I mean, isn't that what you would have picked the last 25 years, basically? So, I mean, and I don't yeah. believe that. I think Oklahoma's not going to be very good. But So let's start at quarterback. Dylan Gabriel. He is the returning quarterback at Oklahoma. As a freshman at UCF, back in 2019, he threw for 3,653 yards and 29 touchdowns with seven interceptions. As a sophomore, in just 10 games in 2020, he threw for 3,570 with 32 touchdowns and just four interceptions. He was injured as a junior in 2021 and only played in three games. Last year he played in a dozen games for the Sooners, and it was kind of back to four. But there are a lot of people that go, well, Dylan Gabriel, not great. He was he threw for almost 3,200 yards with 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. Dylan Gabriel was the least of Oklahoma's problems last year. He is back. But the question is, what about the folks around him? Marcus Major, who was the fourth leading rusher on the team a year ago, is expected to be the starting tailback. Javante Barnes, who was second on the team in rushing a year ago, is expected to be the backup. They are replacing Eric Gray. Eric Gray was really good. He went for over 1,311 touchdowns last year. But they've got some experience returning in the backfield. They lose their top two receivers from a year ago. But I feel like I'm falling into a trap here. And the trap is, I'm just looking at Oklahoma's offense. I think we all kind of feel like Oklahoma's offense is probably going to be okay this year. Jeff Levy calling the plays. Dylan Gabriel is the trigger man. Got some pieces. The problem a year ago is that Oklahoma gave up 41 in a loss to Kansas State, 55 in a loss at TCU, 49 in a shutout loss to Texas. They gave up 42 in a win over Kansas State. They're a little better against Iowa State. They gave up 38 in a loss to Baylor, 23 in a loss to West Virginia. That was a bad West Virginia team. They held Oklahoma State down, and then they gave up 51 in an overtime loss to Texas Tech. The offense scored plenty last year, but that did not look like a vintage Oklahoma defense. And bringing and in a guy a, that has coached. I'm going to say that, yeah. A great defensive coach, supposedly, and it just was awful. They did lose a bunch to the portal going into last year, but still, man. Uh, yeah. 
I thought that would have been a slam dunk. I, I really did. I expected Brent Venables after seeing how good he was at Clemson and, and Dabo just kind of let him do his thing over there too. It's not like it, you know an offensive coordinator under an offensive-minded head coach leaving and not working as well. Well, there's a reason for that. Dabo let Venables do his thing, and he did it extremely well. I figured that was going to be a smooth transition. Oklahoma's going to go right back to winning and, and being a playoff contender, and they just weren't. No, they weren't. They weren't at all. And instead, as I've said before, I mean, I'm not 100% sure we're going to see Brent Venables in Dallas at SEC Media Days next year. I disagree with that. Because I think they're going to win eight okay. or nine games this year. So I don't, I don't know about that. Season opener, Arkansas State. OU laying 33. I'll lay the points. Tells you about we, that week one slate, by the way. That's an ESPN game. It's 11 a.m., but still. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Week two, in Norman, SMU. I don't know what it is, but I'll take the over. Yeah. To me, that is the game in the non-conference slate if you're Oklahoma that you have to circle. That's the one that, that gives you a little bit of concern. Got to show up and play in that one or else they'll beat you. SMU didn't stop anybody last year, but nobody really stopped SMU either. Hey, Rhett Lashley's offense going to score. They're, they're going to move it up and down the field, and they're going to score some points. Now, it'll take, what, a couple of stops for Oklahoma for there to be separation? Because SMU's defense isn't really stopping anybody either. So, I mean... That's got like what fifty five to thirty eight written all over it. If Oklahoma is not yeah. markedly better than they were a year ago, and then, even then uh, it could be like fifty five twenty four. I mean, sure. the over under is not not going to be eighty. Yeah, back to back road trips. They go to Tulsa. New head coach in Tulsa. They go to Cincinnati. New head coach at Cincinnati. Then they jump into conference play. If we're being honest, Oklahoma whoa, should be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cincinnati jumps into I'm conference sorry. play. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. We got. Cin- you got me. Yeah. Cin- Cincinnati yeah. now part of the Big 12. That's going to be a heck of an environment there at uh, old Nippert Stadium there in it Cincinnati. Will be, uh, hey, I, I, I know you're being genuine when you say that. Yeah. It will be a ridiculously good environment. There will be 39,000 people there. They will be packed into the stadium. It will be loud, loud, loud. That would be a cool game. Shows you how important acoustics are when you're building stadiums if you want to create crowd noise. Go straight up. Go straight up. That's what Nippert Stadium does. So, all right. So, Big 12 opener on the road against Cincinnati. Back-to-back, uh, well, that's not true. Iowa State, then Red River, then an open date. Then they get UCF at home, go to Kansas, go to Oklahoma State, West Virginia at home, at BYU, TCU at home. Ooh. So if they go 4-0 and in the conference, in non-conference, I'm sorry, if they go 3-0 and in non-conference, killing myself on the Cincinnati thing, that means wins against Arkansas State, SMU, and Tulsa. We kind of believe they're going to do that. Yeah, another three and zero in non-conference, I believe. Okay, probably gonna win at Cincinnati. Probably. Well, that's four. 
Iowa State at home? Probably. Probably. Iowa State is down their starting quarterback and starting running back because they can't stop gambling on themselves. All right. Well, you know, we'll see. Well, well, here's the point that I'm making. They beat Iowa State. They're five and zero going into Red River. Texas may have one loss with the game against Alabama. We're talking top ten matchup in week six. Now, I don't know that those are two top ten teams, but it'll get the hype of a top ten matchup in the final year of the Big Twelve. Then mm-hmm. you look at the second half. If this isn't a minimum eight-win team for Oklahoma, you may be right. They may move on from from Venables because they should win eight with this schedule this year. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll continue the countdown after this. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi. I'm not hearing you. No. You and it sucks because it looks now. like he... Oh, there he is. Okay. 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 Did he go away Did for you have a us second? all muted there or something? No, you went away for yeah. a second. Okay. Me, me it looked like him? you were telling a funny story, you. too. No, I didn't hear you. Yeah, you went away for you. a second. Oh, welcome right. back, Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, I was just no, saying... No, you had something you were going there. You were, you, you were into it, too. You were I did, moving I said, around. You can't catch up on the countdown when you're behind if you don't start somewhere. We started with number 24 on the countdown, Oklahoma. We moved to number 23. You cannot, you cannot lose games in the NFL and win. The Illinois Fighting Lineup. Is that politically correct, by the way? I don't know. Come on, I tell you, I don't know. Oh, ooh, dramatic slowdown. Picks and right back pick up. Right back up. Yeah. I wonder if that's one of those like underrated Big Ten bands. Kind of like Arkansas is an underrated SEC band. What if Illinois falls into that category in the Big Ten? Don't know enough about Big Ten bands. I've seen the Illinois band, and I don't remember. Feels like Ohio State dominates the band conversation in that conference. Yeah. We need to know yeah, more. Michigan's is quite Michigan's good. Band. Penn State's is good. Yeah. Wisconsin's uniforms drive me nuts because you know how a W is like an M is three points. Theirs is four, and it drives me crazy. It looks more like an M. It's terrible. So, Wisconsin. With uh, Illinois. This is uh, this is Luke year Altmeyer. three. This is year three for Brett Beecham. Of course, the former Arkansas coach. What did he just say? <laughs> Brett Bielema. <laughs> Who is Brett Beecham? 
better be a so, friend or something. Hey, Who is it? It's a buddy of mine, and I was texting him a minute ago. <laughs> and it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Pork and I both are just like, we both are like, did, what did he say? They just made up a name. Yeah. <laughs> Good dude. Oh, he's running, hey, shout yeah, out to Brett a bunch Mitchell. of marathons. Great guy. Great guy. Hey, man. Shout out to Brett. Um, Brett Bielema, though. Brett Bielema. Not running marathons. Uh, I don't no, think God, so. No. I don't, I don't think so. Um, they went 8-5 and five last year. 5-7, and 8-5. and five. It feels like Brett Bielema is where he needs to be back in the Big Ten. Agreed? Yes. Yes, that's that's he is a Big Ten coach. Can't he go eight and five for a lot of years in a row and be really comfortable at the University of Illinois? Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah, the occasional upswing. So. Yeah, yeah. Have a veteran team or whatever sneak up, win nine, maybe ten. Can't go to the Rose Bowl anymore. But if I tell you to name one player from the University of Illinois, or the first player from the University of Illinois that pops into your mind, who do you name? Luke Hallmeyer. It's very topical. It'd be Juice Williams. Oh, you me. mean like Juice all time? Yes, yes, I mean all time. I thought you Juice meant on this day. Oh, for me. Dick Butkus. Man, I saw Juice Williams. Uh, so I was with, uh, with some family, including my dad, in the horseshoe at Ohio State, and we got to sit there and watch juice go to ohio state and beat uh, 105,000 people in silence is hilarious oh. it is so funny. Rashard mendenhall was a running back for that team yeah they were good they were really good, good. but the 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 lack of noise from that many people in their hoodies they is had hilarious a, they had a linebacker there's an award named after now i can't remember what his name is Hmm. Oh, it's Kevin Hardy. Kevin Hardy is his name. So, let's talk about quarterback. Luke Altmaier is expected to be the starter. The top two names on the quarterback death chart at Illinois are both transfers. Luke Altmaier from Ole Miss. John Paddock from Ball State. They have a redshirt freshman and a true freshman on the roster. And so... What are they looking to do at quarterback? Last year, Tommy DeVito was the quarterback, and his numbers were okay. This is a run-based offense. They had a good tailback in Chase Brown, who went for over 1,600 yards and had 10 touchdowns. Tommy DeVito last year, the Syracuse transfer, he completed 69.7% of his passes. So that's good. Nice. That's nice. He threw for 2,650 yards. That's very average. Very mm-hmm. average in college football today. 15 touchdowns, four They were a running they were a running football team. I believe they had I know they I think he was the leading rusher in the Big 10 last year. Now he didn't play in the bowl game against Mississippi State. Um the what's his last name? Chase I can't Brown. Remember. He had a twin brother. Yeah, he had a twin brother who was in the secondary there. Um they were a they were a very old school team. They ran the football and played defense. And that was how they won games. And it was nearly enough to beat Michigan. They had Michigan on the ropes and just couldn't knock them out uh, last year. 
lost that game 1917. So their wins last, last year were against goal. Wyoming, Virginia, Chattanooga, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska. I mean, they had a, a stretch in there where they won six in a row, but then they lost three in a row to Michigan State, Purdue, and Michigan. And then, like everybody else, beat Northwestern to close out the regular season. So, schedule this year for Illinois. And, and we're talking about, can Illinois maintain the momentum they started building a year ago with eight wins? New quarterback, new tailback. They open with Toledo. They go to Kansas in week two. And by the way, for years and years and years, you would have automatically yeah. checked that one. There's a win. Eh, is it? Is Illinois going on the road to Lawrence and winning in week two? I don't know. And then they host Penn State in week three. Then it's FAU. Then they go to Purdue. Then Nebraska. Friday night game against Nebraska. Go to Maryland. Host Wisconsin. Go to Minnesota. Host Indiana. Go to Iowa. Host Northwestern. That's a hard schedule this year for Illinois. Yeah, it is. Kind of feels like everybody's cheering for Luke Altmeyer, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you've got, you know, he's a former Ole Miss guy. Some people love him there, but he's also a Starville guy. You know, Starville right. people still love him. You know, at state championship, I think. So, yeah. yeah and, and it's not guy. like he really did anything while he was at Ole Miss to make yeah, Mississippi yeah, State fans. Exactly. Not, he, he didn't have some game-winning drive, you know, ripping the hearts out of Mississippi State He didn't play in the Egg Bowl, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and of course, Illinois. I don't know if you know this or not. Illinois currently has a commitment from Startville's current quarterback, Trey Petty. Oh, really? Yeah, I did not know that. So, yeah, that's Illinois. Um, eight and five. You got famous alums from Illinois? Not pulled up. We stopped Jeff doing George. That? I don't know. Well, I didn't even think about it. You know. Would you care to take a guess as to who the all-time leading passer is at Illinois? It's not Jeff George. No. He's not even in the top three. Okay, number one is Hugh Hefner. Apparently, I didn't. I can't believe you went to Illinois. Nick Graduated Offerman. with a Bachelor of Arts, though. Mm. Good call, Gene Hackman, Nick Offerman. These are good. These are good famous alums. Yeah. Uh, the all-time leading passer in Illinois history. I, I, I don't know. Who is Played it? in 1981 and then 83 through 85. The legendary Jack Trudeau. Oh, that's a good one. Very Robert good. Holcomb, the all-time leading rusher, a little over 4,000 yards. Robert and, Holcomb. Uh, I remember that guy. Uh, Shahid Khan also went to Illinois, the uh, billionaire owner of the Jaguars. Yeah. Jaguars and Fulham Football Club. Shout out to Rhino. Yeah. For a while, we would have said course, soon to be the London Jaguars. AEW. Yeah, until yeah. he saved it. He moved from Pakistan to go to college at 16. He moved I don't to the United States of America to Champaign, smart, Illinois at you know. 16 from Pakistan. I, I, the, the transition of life that must have been, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. My guess is, and this is probably an unfair shot, if you live in Pakistan, Champaign, Illinois sounds lovely. I, I don't it's, know how it's many Champagne. People... Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, Aiden. Thank you. He started washing dishes for $1.20 an hour, this says, in 1967. Ended up joining a fraternity and gradu- graduated with an engineering degree at, tw- at 20 years old. 
and now it's worth over a billion dollars. Now has, has done quite well for himself. Has done quite well. Heck yeah. Is Illinois one of those teams that you ever look at and you go, I feel like they should be better than they are. So, sometimes really. they've been they've been the, what they they've been what they are my whole life. Yeah, that's true. So Illinois team number uh, twenty three on the countdown of one hundred teams in one hundred days. Talk sports talk Mississippi to the junction in the grove and to the top. Sports talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. Playing a little bit of catch-up on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. It is a football preview hour. Team number 21, Arkansas Razorbacks. Start on a serious note with Arkansas. Uh, tragic news for the Arkansas football family uh, coming out yesterday. Um, Alex Collins, the number two all-time rusher in Arkansas football history and one of four running backs in SEC history to have three straight 1,000-yard rushing seasons, uh, died tragically in a motorcycle accident in Broward County, Florida, in his hometown of Fort Lauderdale. He was traveling, what, eastbound on uh, on a highway. There was a Chevy Suburban that was traveling westbound on the same road. The Suburban made a left-hand turn, crossing the lane, and at that point, Collins on a 2004 Suzuki GSX R600K, obviously a fast motorcycle, Collided with the rear passenger door. Uh, he was traveling at such a speed that um, the motorcycle stopped and he continued through the window and he came to rest inside the vehicle and uh, was pronounced dead at the scene. Just awful, awful circumstances. Motorcycle hit the car, the, the suburban. I'm talking about a big suburban, right? Hard enough that it yeah. spun in a big circle. So, hey, look. No idea who's at fault there. Right? No idea. It doesn't matter. Tragic. Really tough offseason oh, for Arkansas. Goodness. I mean, it was Ryan Mallett and Lou, yeah. now, now Alex Collins. Yeah. In so tragic uh, ways, too. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So for uh, for those that are fans of Arkansas uh, and we're fans of Alex Collins, uh, our condolences to, uh, to you and the loss. One of the greats. Um, and frankly... Alex Collins is a guy that lives in the lore of the craziness of the Ole Miss-Arkansas series. He was the guy that had the ball bounce to him after Hunter Henry heaved it up in the air 
and somehow was able to get to the opposite side of the field and pick up a first down after picking up more than the, what, 25 yards that was necessary. So um, certainly a popular player for the Razorbacks. Starting year four for Sam Pittman at Arkansas, they went 7-6 and six last year. So in the previous three years, Arkansas under Sam Pittman has gone 3-7, and 9-4, and 7-6. and six. They have a veteran returning at quarterback in K.J. Jefferson. In terms of yardage, it wasn't a massive number a season ago. He threw for 2,648 yards, had 24 touchdowns and five interceptions. But he and is that's a missing threat. a couple games. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Threat on the ground, though. Uh, on 158 rush attempts, he had 640 yards rushing and uh, and nine touchdowns. So, questions about Arkansas's defense. They return K.J. Jefferson, and they return Rocket Sanders, who was the second-leading rusher in the SEC last year. He went for 1,443 yards with 10 touchdowns. Really, really good running back. 1,300 of that was against Ole Miss, it felt like. It felt that way. He had a pretty big night against the Rebels. That was a good night. That was tough. Yep. Um, so, go ahead. Well, here this is my question about Arkansas, right? We, we kind of had them pegged as this poor man's LSU. And what I mean by that is, you know, in Orgeron, when he had Joe Brady and – and Dave Aranda, okay, so he's not the best coach in the world, but he's got these elite coordinators. We'll put talent around them, and they'll and they won a national title. And then when you lose Brady and you lose Aranda and you lose a lot of that elite talent, you see what happens. We sort of had Pittman like that. They win nine games, and they've got uh, oh gosh, I forgot his name, Kendall Browse, and they've got Barry Odom, and that's the setup, right? Pittman, we, he just you know he's he's the recruiter. Now they're gone. And a lot of the elite talent is gone. You still got Jefferson and Sanders, but this is a really this is a real statement year for Pittman, in my opinion. Yeah. So your offensive coordinator is now Danny Nose, who is in his second stint at Arkansas, and your defensive coordinator is Travis Williams, who most recently was the defensive coordinator at UCF, and before that he was at Auburn co-defensive coordinator at Auburn for three years. Why do you think Enos has bounced around so much? I mean, it's new job, new job, new job, new job, new job. I don't know. He's not great. When he left Arkansas, did he go straight to Alabama from Arkansas? Is that right? It's Arkansas. His last year there was 2017. Then uh, he was at Michigan as an OA in 2018 for however long that lasted before he went to Alabama in 2018. Then Miami in 19, Cincinnati in 20, Maryland in 21 and 22, and now Arkansas. And and in fairness, the Maryland offense was, was pretty good last year. Pretty mm-hmm. good offense last Certainly year. Certainly was not bad. But that's at the same time, Loxley is an offensive coach. You know, how that's much right. of that is Enos versus versus uh Loxley? It's something that, you know, we went to media days and, and I consume a lot of radio shows and podcasts and stuff. When, when people are talking about Arkansas, they, they talk about the backfield with KJ and Sanders, but nobody ever mentions what you just brought up, Ada. It's like, like that's a big deal of when you're talking about Mississippi State, is new offense, Zach Arnett. Same thing with Ole Miss. Right, what, is Pete Golding going to have them ready right away? But anytime people bring up Arkansas, that's not something that like they hammer home like they do with the two teams in our state. 
And they should, because it's a big deal. In terms of, of receivers, they lost their one, two, three, four, four top receivers last year. Matt Landers, Jaden Hazelwood, Trey Knox, Keetron Jackson. Sanders was the fifth leading receiver. And then they lost Warren Thompson as well. So, so not much in terms of what's coming back at the wide receiver spot. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. One of their projected starters was at Texas A&M Commerce last year. That's not to say you can't get guys that are impact players from, from smaller schools. You absolutely can. And We've seen it with Ole Miss. We've seen it with Mississippi State. We've seen it with other schools as well. But So that's on the offensive side, right? So, so they lose five of their top six receivers from last year, and the one guy that's returning is the running back. And then over on the defensive side, they lose 103 tackles from Drew Sanders, 92 from Bumper Pool, 73 from Simeon Blair. So their top three tacklers and four of their top seven from a year ago are gone. And a guy who has a ton of talent in Jalen Catanlon is gone now. He's injured all the time, but he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he a freshman All-American? Mm-hmm. And then, and then finally, yeah, he's banged up, banged up, missed Just basically two years healthy. in Arkansas. And transferred to Texas, right? Didn't he finish? End up at Texas. He's at Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at Texas right now. And even with all the injuries, that's a guy you would rather have on your roster than not. You, you just would, yeah. Because if he can get healthy and stay healthy, he is a difference maker in the secondary on that side of the ball. All right, here's the schedule for the Razorbacks: Western Carolina and Little Rock to start the year. Kent State in Week Two in Fayetteville. BYU in week three in Fayetteville. They played BYU last year on the road and beat them 52 to 35. And that, that was a pick'em game going in, and they just beat the brakes off of BYU. It's kind of leaned on them. It's like, look, you, you think of BYU as being a physical team. They didn't look anything close to physical in that game a season ago. Then. Listen to this stretch. At LSU, Texas A&M in Arlington, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. That is four straight weeks away from the state of Arkansas. Now, the game against Texas A&M, I think they're the designated home team. But still, you're going to Dallas for that game, going to Arlington for that game. And when they finally come back home, they host Mississippi State on the 21st of October. And then they finish it out at Florida, Auburn, FIU, Missouri. But that five-game stretch in the middle of the season, at LSU, A&M, at Ole Miss, at Alabama, Mississippi State, I mean, forgive me for saying a five-game conference stretch tells the story of the season. Absolutely tells the story of the season, though. And that is not an easy stretch of games for the Arkansas Razorbacks, who most people have picked, what, fifth? In the West, I think that's where most people have got Arkansas. Yeah. In that four, five, six range. Arkansas, team number 21 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. We'll be right back. The best. The best. 
sports talk in the state. It's the best thing. Say that again. We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best. Sports talk Mississippi. Super talk Mississippi. Can we do four teams in an hour? We can. We will. Right now? Do it. Team number 20. We're making up ground. Small school line rolling at the Division I level, I think. Uh, power five. I power think Tulsa's smaller. I think you're right. I think that is correct. Uh, Wake Forest. Demon Deacons. They begin life without Sam Hartman, and it feels like most people are kind of counting them out because of that. That feels like a count them out at your own risk proposition, doesn't it? Lately. In terms of being competitive, now they're not going to win the ACC. It'll be Clemson or Florida State, but uh, to be a tough out every week, yeah, they're going to be. You can basically guarantee it. Last five years, and by the way, Dave Clawson is going into his 10th season at, as the head coach at, uh, at Wake Forest. Last five years, seven wins, eight wins, four wins in the COVID-shortened 2020 season. 2021, they went 11-3 and three last year, 8-5. and five. And remember, um, Sam Hartman missed some time last year, didn't he? Yeah, had a the scary mm-hmm. off-season issue, uh, a medical issue that led to him having to get a rib removed, and earmuffs children. This is kind of gross. Uh, he took that rib and put it in his freezer, or his mom wanted him to, and she's making uh, a wearable jewelry piece out of his mm-hmm. rib. So, like a chuck a necklace thing. Apparently so. Seashell necklace? Cut the rib up into... No, I think they're going to use the the whole thing in in whatever is being made for him. But yeah, he told that story, I believe, at ACC Media Days, where they they asked a reporter, a a very smart reporter, asking the the questions that actually lead to good answers. So you had a rib removed, what happened to it? Well, actually, it's in my fridge, or my freezer. Wait, what? Mom's making jewelry out of it. Hmm. Weirdo, but anyway. If you had a rib removed, would you want your mother to commemorate that by wearing it as part of a necklace? No. No, I would not. I don't want my mother wearing uh, anything uh, that's a bone. I think it's for him. I think she's getting it made for him, I believe. I, I'm not wearing. I'm definitely not doing it then. I, I don't want any body parts of mine. I don't want to wear any of them. You know, other than, if they're not going to be in my body, uh, they can just go on to wherever they're going. Yes, I'm. I'm decidedly not a jewelry guy. I wear a watch. And I wear a wedding ring, and that's it. I'm, I can't. I'm, I mean, unless somewhere along the way I decide to get a whoop band, but I'm not sure that I can like get used to anything constantly being on a wrist opposite my watch. Um, A lot of people wear necklaces, gold chains, 
sometimes very flashy gold chains. I don't understand. I, I can't think of what other piece of jewelry, though, it would be other than something that you wear around your neck. But she's making it for him? She's making it for him. Uh, let me see if I can find a quote. So, so he developed a blood clot in the subclavian vein. Okay. And oh, had yeah. to get that. Of course. Uh, yeah, of course, as we all know. Um, had to get the as rib removed. His mom has it, and she is turning it into a necklace for him to wear. What was that conversation with the doctor like? Like, hey, when you take it out, keep it. Don't don't just you know don't discard it. Got to keep that rib. I'm gonna. My mom wants it. Mitch Griffiths performed uh, pretty well in the absence of Sam Hartman a year ago. He had five touchdowns at just a pick. Completed over seventy percent of his passes. Leading rushers back this year, Justin Ellison, who went for seven oh seven on the ground. Uh, they've got four of their top five receivers back from a season ago. Big part of the defense back as well. That one missing receiver, a New Orleans Saint. A.T. Perry went for over 1,000 yards with 11 touchdowns last season for Wake Forest. So we uh, we shall see. It, it, it feels like if you bet against Wake Forest, you are doing that at your own peril. Especially with all that returning. Mm-hmm. No Hartman's gone, but as you said, other guy looked pretty good. You know, coaches say what coaches say, but I saw an interview with him talking about his soon-to-be replacement of Sam Hartman, and he's like, I could have looked in the portal. I had no reason to whatsoever. My guy's sitting right here. So coach seems to love what he's got. And and there were a lot of teams that tried to get Wake Forest players to come into the portal and had a lot of guys that decided to stay put. They like what they were doing in uh, in Winston-Salem, think it's going to move on. You know, how many times we were talking about Mike Leach did we talk about a system offense? I think you might could say that about Dave Clawson and what Wake Forest does. That is a system offense. We'll see if it translates with Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame, and he's a good, productive quarterback. He may very well be. I think he's a talented player. But that is very much a system offense, and if they've got good players in that system, it should lead to success again. They open the season with Elon on a Thursday night, then play Vandy, then Old Dominion before jumping into ACC play. Wake Forest, team number 20 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Sports Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Clock hour of Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort studio, wherever you're listening, however you are joining us today. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, if you miss any of the show, you can always get it as a podcast. It is free. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. That way it is uh, downloaded automatically to your phone. It's right there when it is convenient for you. And um, you can also listen online at supertalk.fm. And if you want to watch us, you can do that as well at Supertalk TV. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad in the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort, warm days, even though it was a little cooler today, still warm days. And uh, the heat is coming back later this week. Don't forget Geyser Falls Water Park, great place for you to cool off. Geyser Falls 
ceasefiretextline.com for more information. Ceasefire text line is open at 601-879-4395. Let's, uh, let's roll forward into the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Go on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Don't forget the summer sales event going on, which means savings for you on Ford trucks and SUVs. So, talk about the fact that Ole Miss had their first scrimmage of camp on Saturday. Lane Kiffin was not available to the media afterward. And it's because he wasn't the head coach. I think he became the wide receivers coach. He gave head coaching title and all responsibilities to a guy that's been on his staff since the day he got here and before that was on the staff of Matt Luke and before that was on the staff of Hugh Freeze and before that was on the staff of Houston Nutt. Does Derek Nix go all the way back to Ed Ogeron? I, I don't remember if Derek Nix was on Ed Ogeron's staff. We would have to go back and check. Yeah. Derek Nix has been on the Ole Miss staff for a really long time. He's coached different positions, and he is absolutely one of the finest people you ever, will ever meet. He is just a good guy from a good family, and he comes from a family that has meant a lot to football in the state of Mississippi. And has not been without his own challenges, right? He's had some some health issues that he's had to deal with over the years and has just continued to just do his job. Uh, he's probably an undervalued recruiter, and his versatility in terms of coaching different positions has served him well. So Lane Kiffin decided that he was going to give Derek Nix the opportunity to be the head coach and everything that that entails, scripting the scrimmage, planning team meetings, speaking to the team the night before the game. They wanted it to be a full run-through as if they were getting ready for their first game of the year. Talking to the team in the locker room before the game, leading the team out onto the field, the whole deal. And that included meeting with the media after it was over. Lane Kiffin did talk to the media about why he had done this. He talked about um, the fact that there are not enough minorities that are head coaches in college football, particularly in the SEC and the Big 12. He said there's more Tony Dungy's, there's more Lovey Smith's, there's more Mike Tomlin's that never get the opportunity. We're in 2023, in between the SEC and Big 12, we have no minority head coaches. It is ridiculous when we're talking about two major conferences right here in this area and when whatever it is, 80% of our players are minority, but we have all white coaches. It's really a system that needs to be fixed. Went on to say to give someone the opportunity to speak in front of the team, to handle the media, to handle pregame meal, to handle injury reports, to get out there today to manage the kind of scrimmage, I think it was really good for Derek. And he goes on to say, you can't see how good somebody is until they get a chance to do it. That would be my wish out there to ADs and presidents and universities to understand that. And this is a good example. So that, that's the story at face value. Now, as is the case with everything, 
when social media grabs a story like this, like the very first response is, well, why don't you give up your job? And you get that over and over and over. There were some that pointed to the fact that Zach Arnett could be considered a minority, or I guess is considered a minority. Yeah, there's no could be considered. He's a minority. Thank you. I think the point that Lane Kiffin was making was about black coaches. He just didn't say that. He used the yeah. term minority over yeah. and over. When you say minority, there's a lot more minorities than, than just African-Americans. Yes. There's two in the Big 12 as well. There's uh, Kalani Sataki, and Dave Aranda is Hispanic as well. Yeah. So, um, but again, that's kind of the stuff that people jumped on and used phrases like virtue signaling and whatever else. And yeah, you're welcome to feel however you want to about it. Call me crazy. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> the, the the one that I was curious was, how does Derek Nix feel about it? I've talked to a couple of people, a few people, who were either around that Friday and Saturday or know Derek or talk to Derek. And they said it really meant a lot to him, that he thought it was an incredibly kind and generous gesture from Lane Kiffin. And he took it very, very seriously. Kind of using that opportunity, using that blueprint to make it his team for that 24, 36-hour period. So feel about it however you want to, but I thought it was kind of a cool story. Especially when the recipient... In this story, Derek Nix was touched by it and thought it was a great opportunity for him. It's an important point. And the the virtue signaling signaling thing, it's kind of like a buzzword that that people use now. And, you know, although uh, some of that statement was factually inaccurate, the, the, the point is that whether or not you agree with his sentiment, Virtue signaling, at least to me, is somebody, for example, that bemoans the horrors of capitalism while tweeting from their iPad inside of a Starbucks. <laughs> that, that is how, when, when you're virtue signaling, it's that. Or when you're Christine Brennan, when she wrote that the darkest day in the Big Ten's history as a conference was agreeing to play football in 2020. That's what that is. It's just empty words, pretending like you have feelings without action behind them. Lane Kiffin's a guy in a position of power. Talking that, about your disdain for fossil fuels as you climb onto your private jet. Ex- oh, yes, exactly. When you tell everybody else that they need to consume less while you fly across the world in private jets, when you live in New York fly City. across the world? When you fly from L.A. to San Diego. Or L.A. to L.A. in some cases. Yeah, it's a um, two-hour drive. One airport to the other. When, when you uh, talk, in, when you live in New York City, and you say that the pizza places can't have their ovens New anymore, York that's City. virtue signaling to me. Lane Kiffin thinks that there is a shortage, uh, if we're being uh, of black coaches in college football. At least as a guy in a position of power, he acted to. If you think it's a grand gesture or a small one, at least he did something to help advance what he believes in. 
There, there's an action associated with the belief. And so when there's an action associated with a belief, I respect it. As opposed to people that scream and yell from the mountaintops, but they don't change their behavior or don't do anything about it. At least Lane Kiffin thinks, there's a problem, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Derek Nix experience, and so when a job comes open that he possibly wants, he gets to say, I was coach for a, little, I was a head coach for a day, here's what I learned, here's what I would do. He has that to point to on a resume. And that could make or break a job. At least there's an action there. And as long as there's action... Regardless of how you feel about it, I think that it's it's a respectable thing. Is this something that'll pick up any traction? Uh, whether it whether it is with minority slash back black coaches or just assistant coaches, period. Do you, you see head, head coaches in some scrimmage situations handing the reins over to assistants and saying, "Hey, I know this is what you want to do career wise. Let me give you a chance. Give you, give you a little little experience." No, I just I don't know. I I, I I'm being honest. I'm not trying to. I just don't know. I, I don't know. You know, there are some coaches that are just so locked in and hands on that they 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 wouldn't be willing to do that. And then there will be some who, like we're just talking about, will view it as a kind of an empty gesture. And then you'll have some coaches who will do it. So will it be a trend? I, I don't I don't know. I mean. Mike Vrabel, though, kind of started this, didn't he, a a couple weeks ago. Maybe you're going to see this more, especially in the preseason. Um, Ceasefire text line, one of my favorite Southern Miss players of all time is Derek Nix. He was one of the first jerseys um, that I ever had. So that's very cool. Sports Talk Mississippi. That is your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Opening in Mississippi sports. You'll hear about it first right here. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can check out their website, genteelapparel.com. That's genteelapparel.com. Got an end-of-season sale going on, which means 25% off some of the styles that are available. You can also get free shipping on your order. New golf shirts are arriving daily. Some of those traditional stripes that you've seen in the past, but also uh, some prints are really, really cool and will help you look your best. And also, of course, the Collegiate Collection, whether you're looking for Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Southern Miss gear. And by the way, you, you do not see a Southern Miss tab on their website right now under the Collegiate Collection tab, but you can uh, can reach out directly to the folks at uh, Genteel. They do have the license agreement in place and uh, working with web developers to get Southern Miss added to the website. So you can get Southern Miss apparel uh, through there as well, plus other schools from the SEC, including Texas A&M and Alabama and Auburn and Missouri, and you got Memphis and Louisiana on there as well. Genteel, a company that is absolutely growing like crazy. Um, I talked with Blake yesterday from Genteel, and he led me to believe that in short order – they will have some of the new 
interlocking MSU logo polos and pullovers available. Genteel, the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can uh, visit them online at genteelapparel.com. So, while we're on the topic of fashion and looking your best, Mississippi State rolled out some uh, some pictures today online. First of a logo that people have desperately wanted for a really long time. How many times, say that have you heard pe- Mississippi State people say, the best-looking logo we've ever had on the helmet is the interlocking MSU? Since they changed it in 2004. Okay. People have wanted it to come back. The interlocking MSU is Mississippi State's version of the powder blue helmet. Mm-hmm. It went away because somebody decided that it needed to go away. But it has come back, and people have loved it more than ever. Mm-hmm. The interlocking MSU logo went away because somebody decided that it needed to go away, and it is now coming back, and it feels uh, as if people are That's loving right. it more than ever. And, and you know, with Ole Miss and the powder blue, at least Ole Miss was honest with everybody. Like, we're just not going to use it. There wasn't some silly made-up lie perpetuated by an athletic director who thankfully isn't around anymore to to say, oh, (laughs) Nike bought the powder blue helmet and we can't wear that. Say that out loud and tell me how stupid it sounds. And yet Mississippi State and its athletic department for two decades tried to perpetuate this lie that Mississippi State did not own the, the, the interlocking MSU, that Nike for some reason had purchased this logo from his, it's just so cool guys nike has to have it it is cool but thankfully it is cool but nike's not paying for logos so unless it's a swoosh that's the one logo like nike is concerned with so after two decades in the wilderness finally they're going to bring it back and i'll just go ahead and tell you it's it's supposed to be a one-time only thing for the kentucky game it's supposed to be only for one year. It's in the vault, and then they'll have to stop selling it. There is no way on earth. They're, they're, that genie is out of the bottle. There's no way they're going back. So the first time I had ever heard of the logo vault at Mississippi State, that's vault, V-A-U-L-T, was mm-hmm. last Friday in a conversation that I was having with Sid Salter while filling in for Paul Gallo. And he talked about the logo vault which is where they have the, the Flying M logo and all of the logos that have been used historically for Mississippi State, the Walking Bully logo, et cetera, et cetera. There's no reason that Mississippi State can't license and use those logos as much as they want to, right? Correct. Okay. The Marks Bull. So I understand using the Flying M logo as a one-off. People thought it was cool. That's not going to be a mark that you stick with as that's what you put on the side of your helmet a lot of times. This is. And mm-hmm. they're kind of going back to the entire uniform from that, what, 96, 97, 98, this 99 is, it era. It is a tr- true throwback. It looks almost exactly, if not 100%, the same. Even the, the old only- SEC logos on there. The old SEC logo is on the the shoulder. That is really cool. The only thing yeah. that's missing is the. Uh, you remember they used to have the old uh, 
the patch that showed what college you were in, College of oh, Arts yeah, and Sciences, College of Agriculture. They need, to, they need to bring that back as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the only difference that you see beyond what Haydad just referenced is a three-stripe logo one. instead of a swoosh. Yeah. It says yeah. M-I-S-S so. period state across the chest. Yeah. Um, they, didn't they change the sleeves just a little bit? Instead of having the stripes, they would just they're, put the numbers on the sleeves. It's a little different. Yeah. They look good. But they, they, they look really good. It looks good. And I'll just tell you, just talking to some people in the apparel business, they're selling a ton of merchandise. The, the fan base is going to. And it's it, it's weird because, you know, the state script just came out, and I'm a huge fan of that, and I love the branding of it. But these things are, this is what Mississippi State football is supposed to look like. And this, this, these were the uniforms from your glory days. This is the, this is, uh-huh. this is, it's going to be really tough. You have been the biggest proponent of the script state logo and have suggested I know. that that should be the branding of the athletics department. Are you already jumping it. ship on that? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you from what I'm seeing from fans that, that they are in love with, with what's come out today. It's going to be very tough. I, I know they're, they're saying it's only a one game thing. I'll be amazed. If they don't wear these uniforms at the Egg Bowl, mm. I'll be amazed. Because I think because then you have that uniform. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know you're trying to be funny, but you're just not wrong either. But I mean that that uniform and then Ole Miss and in the in the white uniform with the powder blue helmet. I mean that is the Egg Bowl, man. That's what we're talking about. So I hope they go that route. I'm wondering if Ole Miss has completely abandoned the gray pants. Mm. Well, well, what they need to do then is get multiple pairs of white pants. You have a budget of 140 something million dollars. Lane's making over nine. You, you got a little bit of money to have multiple pairs of white pants. Put stripes on them. Put stripes on them. Two red stripes when you're wearing red. Two powder, powder blue stripes when you're wearing powder blue. And two navy blue stripes when you're wearing navy blue. My high school, I had multiple pairs of football pants that we wore. Three. My senior year, back in 2009, if Malden High School could do that, an SEC West program can do that. Get multiple pairs of white pants. And then the uniforms are basically perfect. So, one other uniform update in the SEC. Vanderbilt looking a lot like the New Orleans Saints look, or at least are supposed to. Solid black uniform with white numbers, SEC patch, small V right there at the top of the chest, kind of on the collar of the jersey. Gold pants that are the right color gold with double black stripes down the leg and a gold helmet with a white V trimmed in black on it. Vanderbilt's colors work in college football, and yet nobody has consistently screwed up their uniforms more than Vanderbilt has. This is perfect, perfect for Vanderbilt football. They took the goofy anchor chain off the top of the helmet that was supposed to take the place of the stripe over the middle. It's just a I think it's the best-looking uniform that Vanderbilt maybe has ever rolled out. I have one small complaint. The V on the helmet is white outlined in black. I think it should be black. Okay. I think the the whole the V should be black. If you want to white outline it, white outline it. But but black on gold 
is so much better than white on gold. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you because I think the Saints' white jersey with the gold pants is the best-looking uniform uh, this, that the Saints have. The best-looking uniform the Saints have is the color rush, the all-whites with the gold numbers. Yeah. They're great. Those are those sick. Are, those are really awesome. good. Although I wish they would go back, too, to the, the big Florida Lee, the, the, the first one. The, those look really good. I think they're going to wear them this year, I think. The one that like takes up the whole top of the helmet? No, the side. It, it's think think the current logo, but like a little bit bigger. I mean, just like three times bigger. That's it. Okay. I'm trying to see if I can find a picture of that. Eh, I don't know. Didn't they wear the black helmets when they did the color rush uniform? Yeah, and I didn't like that look. No, but then they went to the gold helmets now, and they look much better. Yeah, they're good. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. We are back right after this. Mississippi, your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. A gorgeous day in the Magnolia State. Little break from the oppressive heat that we have had over the last few weeks. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's uh let's hear from Zach Arnett. This was was it earlier today or yesterday? Hey Dad. This was yesterday while we were on the air. That's right. Late yesterday afternoon while we were on the air, Zach Arnett meeting with the media, giving a, an update on camp following a scrimmage over the weekend and rolling into uh, another full week of practice. Here's the head coach of the Bulldogs. Yeah, we got a lot of reps. We got, I mean, it was 120-something play scrimmage between the three different groups, so a lot of film to evaluate. Uh, I think a general message to the team was, you know, there's a lot of really good things that show up on film. Obviously, you can tell we're athletic and have a chance to be explosive on offense, and we can play pretty good defense. Our biggest thing holding us back right now is uh, we we yet to have found a high level of consistency with all 11 guys right executing their assignment the way it's the way it's intended. And so, you know, the unfortunate thing about football is you can have a you can have a touchdown dialed up for should be a ball over the top of the defense for a touchdown. And if a guy busts the protection, right, it's a sack and, and vice versa. You can have 10 guys playing pretty good defense and one guy not doing his assignment and it splits you for a, a long play. So we've got to find a higher level of consistency, all 11 executing their job. We've talked a lot about the battle at safety and in that cornerback spot. Anyone that stood out in the scrimmage in terms of that competition? Uh, I mean, no one I highlight. I mean, Marcus Banks is still continuing to play high level. You know, he's a senior. We need him to kind of take charge and be the leader of that group and uh, make sure everyone's up to the standard. But uh, we're getting a rotation of guys in there. You know, some guys, as you get to this point in camp, they're banged up or you got some soft tissue stuff, so it limits some reps. But uh, 
no real standouts that you know I would mention played better than anyone else. But do you think you can find that consistency? Is it a matter of do you find in the best eleven players, or is it more of a matter of you know just getting in more reps? Well, it's, I mean, I think it's both, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to find a high level of consistency if you're not playing your best players, and then obviously you got to get enough reps. I mean, every day you're installing stuff, right? So. Sometimes you might call something in a, in a scrimmage and you've only practiced it for a day or two, right, as opposed to something from day one. You've got 10, 11 days of practice under your belt. And so uh, with more reps, we'll get we'll get better. But obviously, you know, like I said, September 2nd is fast approaching. And so we got we got to get there soon. We've been hearing Creed Whitmore's name a lot, saying, you know, videos of him, things like that. It's, it's tough for a true freshman to, to kind of show up like that early. What is, what's he been doing to – to kind of catch your eye so far. Yeah, he's done a nice job. Obviously, he knows what to do, right? He knows how we want him to do it. So, you know, he gets lined up where he's supposed to with the right split. Obviously, he understands he's supposed to be blocking a support player in the run game or what route he has and how he's supposed to set it up and time it up. You know, passing's kind of about spacing and timing, right? And so they've done a nice job of getting a little connection there. And obviously, he's getting to, getting to learn there under Tulu and playing the same position. So... Uh, he, shoot, he, put, he played a lot of plays. He played a lot of plays on Saturday. I was uh, probably played too much, but that's all right. Freshman can handle all them reps. Speaking of true freshmen, um, you got to see Chris a lot in the spring, but then he got to acclimate himself to doing team drills. What have you? I know it's still early for him, but what have you seen from Parson now that he's been able to take part in some team drills? Yeah, I mean, obviously, talented arm, right? Uh, he's getting comfortable operating the offense, checking runs from one side to the other. If the defense Right, if the look dictates that. Um, so it seems like he's getting more comfortable every single day. Uh, I think he's got a great opportunity to learn under Will and, and meet with Will and Coach Barbell on a daily basis in the room, and he'll improve from that. I know we talked about this in the summer <coughs> after the, the 23 signings, the rest of them got here, but you know, it seems like we've been talking about Seth Davis and Whittle Moore, those guys that got here in January. Just how big is the difference with with their level of play in camp compared to those that just got here? Oh, it's huge! It's huge! Yeah, we've been talking about that in staff meeting. The guys who early enrolled and got a whole semester under their belt and all those reps from spring versus the guys who came in summer. Right, you're kind of we're kind of to the point in camp where it's <laughs> the newness of it has worn off. Right, <laughs> no one's exactly fired about up about getting here at seven in the morning, starting meetings and breakfast and everything, and staying until nine at night. Right, I mean. It's long days, and so it seems to me like in that freshman class, those early enrollees, they're, they're a little bit more accustomed to what it takes and and just the daily procedure. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a good advantage for them to get those reps in early enrolling. Last two years, special teams kind of been inconsistent. What have you seen so far in camp for special teams this year? Well, obviously we're working on all four phases, right, trying to – execute the schemes to the best of our abilities, add new schemes in if it helps us. Uh, but the special have done a nice job. I've got open competition at field goal kicker, kickoff guy, punters, and so, I mean, it'll go all the way up until probably game week. You mentioned the fact that September ain't moving. Uh, that game day is going to be there. How do you walk that line between still installing and doing what you want to do and just getting ready for September 2nd? We're, we're about to that point, right? We got, I mean, Right. Tomorrow is really the kind of last true day of training camp because school starts Wednesday, which you transition to the 20-hour rule, right, where that's all you got them for a week. So Wednesday will be an off day. We'll come back Thursday. We'll probably start introducing a couple scout team periods just to get guys used to that role. Uh, 
and then next week we'll treat like it's week one of game week, right? Essentially mock week one, so we kind of get a, a run through of it, get everyone used to what it's going to be like, and that'll naturally freshen them up a little bit, and, and you start making decisions on, all right, what are we actually going to take into the first first game or first couple games? And so you throw out what you're not too good at, and you focus in on what you seem to have a handle on. We'll talk a lot about, you know, the big transition is offense. A lot of it has to do with learning new terminology and things like that. In the scrimmage, did you see him? Like him and Coach Barber had good communication, kind of are getting acclimated to you know working together during a game scenario. Yeah, Will's got no issues with the terminology or any of that. I mean, there's no issues there. When you were the defensive coordinator only, yeah, and I pulled for the defense to have a win every play. It's a little different dynamic now. So, what was it like Saturday? I mean, I know you want everybody to play well, but did you get what you wanted from like the offense having some good moments and the defense? And if so, how did maybe your focus change in that respect? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's easy. First first scrimmage, I mean, it's not hard to make a 10-play cut of about five plays for each side and, and show it in a team meeting and go, all right, here's five plays where defense, you're set up for success, but because someone doesn't do their job or execute it the way it should be done, the offense ends up having a productive play or vice versa. Hey, offense, you have, you could not ask for a better defense right here to, to exploit with the play call you have on, but because someone not doing their job, right, or a busted assignment, it prevents it from being a good play. So that's the nice thing about first scrimmage. You got, you got plenty of stuff to teach off of. But if they have the recognition of things like that, it makes the teaching easier. If they can see that there was our opportunities. Well, I mean, we're all, we're, everyone here is a college student, right? They're playing smart enough to look at the film and go, oh, yeah, I mean, it's slide protection to the right, and I slid left. That's an issue, <laughs> you know? So it's not, this ain't calculus we're talking about here, right? It's football. How much uh, I not thought much about special teams in, in that group. Obviously, you got two dynamic returners, and everybody knows about Tulu and Zabion. But what have you seen from the punting and the kicking department as far as guys trying to take a hold of those spots right now? Yes, yeah, I mean the open competition, right? So a couple of them, you know, obviously uh, Nick Barmer was here in the spring, right? Got a couple of new guys in, true freshman kicking it really good. Uh, so. The, the field goal kicking competition and kickoff guy is going that's going to come down to game week before those decisions are made and then punting obviously uh keelan our aussies here and he he brings some a unique skill set and uh so excited to see what what that does with our unit there they produce a transition for him from australia rules football to college football I think he's just getting used to which way the water swirls, you know, when it goes down the toilet. Yeah, that's and that is how you cap an interview. What about the transition from Australian rules to uh, uh, just which way does the water swirl? It's a hemisphere question. I told um, you he had, a, he had a good zinger there at the end. That, that's good. Hey, Zach Arnett got me a little fired up. So today's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I'm done with practice now. Tomorrow's the first day of class at Mississippi State, off day. Mm-hmm. They'll get through the weekend. And then starting next week, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, everybody, plays their first football game two weeks from Saturday. Mm-hmm. Two weeks from Saturday is the first Saturday, first full Saturday of the college football mm-hmm. season. So next week will be a mock game week. Whatever their game week practice schedule is, they will do that next week so that there are no questions. There's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty on how things go during game week, which starts the following Sunday, Monday. It's really close now. 
Really close now. I know we've been doing the numbers for a long time. Borky's got his numbers ready to go with how many days it is to the start of each different thing that we've got. We've already checked some off. Right? We've had the Hall of Fame game. We checked that one off. Had the first week of the NFL preseason. Checked that off. What are they? We've got 11, 16, 18, 23, 26. 11 days till week zero, 16 days until that first big Thursday, 18 days until our teams kick off, 23 days until Chiefs-Lions kick off the NFL season, and 26 days until the Saints start their season. That is how close it is. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will wrap it up with you on this Tuesday afternoon coming up next in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sports in Mississippi. You'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. On August 30th, so two weeks from today, roughly, 15 days from today, the college football playoff leaders will meet to talk a little bit about the college football playoff. And the plan was that this meeting was just going to be one to kind of finalize minutia, figuring out ticket distribution, team lodging, and other important but painstakingly important matters for the first round on-campus games. But after all of the realignments of the last few weeks, the questions and the agenda items seem to have changed. Ross Dellinger at Yahoo Sports writes that many college football playoff officials will have questions of their own, such as, will Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyavikov show up at the meeting? And if so, how much of an impact is his vote if the league does not exist 10 months from now? If the Pac-12 no longer exists, how is the league's college football playoff revenue divided among the other nine FBS conferences? If the Pac-12 rebuilds, will it be considered a power conference and entitled to such revenues that those leagues receive? And finally, with or without a rebuilt Pac-12, how will the playoff format change? Later in the article, he says most expect the SEC and the Big Ten to generally be in lockstep in what they want going forward. And that includes a change in the revenue distribution model to reflect the number of teams in your league. In the past, each of the Power Five leagues got X number of dollars. If you had 10 teams, you split it among 10. If you had 14 teams, you split it among 14. With the Big Ten now having 16 and the SEC going, or I guess the Big Ten now has 18. Is that right? Yeah. They're up to 18 and the SEC will be at 16. The SEC and Big Ten would like revenue to be split based on the number of schools you have in your league. They also want to see a change in the voting system, which for right now gives more power to the Power Five conferences and Notre Dame They get basically 80% of the vote, and the smaller conferences get 20% of the vote. And perhaps a change in the 12-team format, perhaps advocating for 12 at-large spots. 
Now, Mike Oresco from The American has already said, I understand the conversation, but we will absolutely fight for those automatic qualifying spots. Right now, it's six and six, right? Six, the, the six highest-ranked conference champions and six at-large spots. I was curious what that would have looked like last year. So if you had just gone with the top 12 teams getting into the playoff, you would have not had a group of five team in the playoff. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, Clemson, Utah, Kansas State, Southern Cal, Penn State, Washington. Those would have been your 12 teams. If you have six, the, the six highest-ranked conference champions plus six at-large spots, you would have had Georgia from the SEC, Michigan from the Big Ten, Clemson from the ACC, Utah from the Pac-12, Kansas State from the Big 12, and Tulane from the American. And then you would go back and you would pick up TCU, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, Southern Cal, and Penn State. And those are the 12 that would make up your playoff. Kind of understand the position for Mike Oresco, right? Because my original yeah. thought was, eh, just be one of the top 12 if you're a group of five team. But the fact is, the way those schedules are built, it's harder for them to get there. Yeah, and on the way preseason polls are built, too. Yeah. It's just, you you, you know, you very rarely you're going to see a group of five team ranked in the top 15 to start the year. An 11-2 and Tulane last year was the highest-ranked group of five team they were behind three nine-loss teams or nine-win teams in Florida State, Oregon State, and Oregon, and they had Kansas State that was a three-loss team, Utah that was a three-loss team in front of them as well. So there were five teams with either more losses or fewer wins that were ranked ahead of them. Yeah, but in Utah and Kansas State, two case, they fewer were wins, conference I champions. Say. No, exactly, exactly. I'm cool with that. Format needs to change, but I, I do think that the group of five should be afforded Absolutely. the opportunity to participate in the playoff on a regular basis. I agree. Absolutely. I, I think I would go to five and seven instead of six and six with the Pac-12 turning into whatever it's going to be, where you go the five highest-ranked conference champions, mm-hmm. I think. They're not a Power 5 anymore. Regardless of what happens, they're not a Power 5 conference anymore. No, but I I guess I was thinking from the standpoint of where it stands, I mean, that would be huge for the American, the Sun Belt, and the Mountain West. Would be huge for those three conferences. Whereas if you go to 5 and 7, you're kind of in the same spot you're in right now. Thanks for being with us. Covered a lot of ground, a lot of college football today on Sports Talk Mississippi. Appreciate you being with us in the Pearl River Resort Studio from uh, for Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Have a great night. Oh, it's incredible! Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. 
MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.